0: Our big word for living this morning is the Spirit. We've talked about law, sin, wrath, grace, justification, faith, sanctification, death. And we're to the Spirit this week, and I'm cheating a little bit, say the least. Um, this week we're not looking at the book of Romans. Uh, meditating on this Christmas, the birth of Christ, the Incarnation, recently the um, Lord sort of put in mind to call an audible Luke 1, 30-35 is what we're going to read this morning. So, And the angel Gabriel said to her, said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will call be called holy the son of god let's pray holy spirit you are god you're described in hebrews 9 as eternal you're described here in luke 1 as all powerful and psalm 139 as omnipresent everywhere and we actually we ask you For help in understanding you with that this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, so three of the most provocative descriptions of the Holy Spirit that I've heard before, I want to share with you. Uh, These are kind of descriptions you might hear uh, based on how the church has presented the Holy Spirit. One, the Holy Spirit uh, is the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity. All right. in church families, no one kind of pays attention to the Holy Spirit, right? He's off to the side. What about him? You know, should we uh, should we should we talk about him somehow? Redheaded stepchild of the Trinity. Also, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> this is an interesting one I've heard before. As the Cinderella of the theological ball, the church churches invite the other two sisters, right? God the Father, God the Son, always distinguished guests of any church. Come on in. But the Holy Spirit, He crashes parties. He trashes places. He does crazy things. we got to call the police on Him to restore some order, right? Now some of you guys, you listen this morning, you're like, I love that about the Holy Spirit. I love it. Some of us think, I love He mixes things up. Whereas others of us, we are afraid of that, right? We walk, you've walked into a church before and you've been like, Wow. Okay, yeah, I'm just gonna... <laughs> I've just got something in my car. I'm just gonna get my Bible. <laughs> I'm gonna see you later, right? And that's what happens, right? <laughs> Thirdly, Paul's has heard the Holy Spirit described as the shy one. The shy one of the Trinity. Now, with all these descriptions, on the one hand, I'm absolutely okay... With these descriptions. And on the other hand, I'm very much bothered by these descriptions of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to spend the rest of the morning explaining why to both. First of all, I'm okay, okay with less attention because the Holy Spirit doesn't want the attention. The Spirit's grandest purpose is to bring attention to Christ we talk about the Holy Spirit, his grandest purpose is to bring attention to Christ. When Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to the disciples, he begins to talk about him. Here's what he says. This is John 16, 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is Jesus' sort of introductory statements about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. First, notice, he does nothing. The Spirit does nothing on his own authority. Rather, he happily submits to God the Son. Just as throughout John's gospel, if you read the Gospel of John, this is a huge theme. we see God the Son happily submitting to God the Father. He always talks about looking to the Father, and that the Son often talks about, "I could do nothing without seeing my Father doing it." And also notice, he says, "He will glorify who, who's going to glorify Jesus. When the Holy Spirit starts to move, you can count on him bringing one thing in his baggage. All right? Christ. He's always coming to bring Christ. Sermon in a nutshell this morning. If you take away nothing else, take away this. That the more active the Holy Spirit, the more Christ will be exalted. The more active the Holy Spirit, the more Christ will be exalted. Perhaps we have no better example of this. It's so fitting for this time of year than the Christmas story. God the Son, the Christ, the Anointed One, the promised Rescuer, coming as a man. And before that, as a baby. And before that, as a fetus. Right? First of all, that, that's amazing in and of itself. That God would humble himself to do this. How is it, will this be? Mary asks the same question, right? How will this be since I am a virgin, right? She has not known a man in the biblical sense, right? And the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is so cool. This is so cool. The Holy Spirit whose chief purpose is to spiritually bring forth Christ to us begins his ministry in the New Testament by physically bringing forth Christ to us. Isn't that cool? He starts by physically bringing forth Christ to us. So, so by ushering Christ into the world physically, he also ushers into our lives his purpose for all eternity. You see that? He ushers into our lives his purpose for all eternity to birth Christ and to form Christ in us. To birth Christ, to form Christ in us. The Spirit's chief purpose. So let's first, let's first look at this idea of the Holy Spirit as active. Because the more He's active, the more Christ is exalted. All right, so we're going to look first at this idea of the Spirit being active. The Holy Spirit is a person, really, who acts like a verb. Person who acts like a verb. In the Old Testament, the word for spirit is the same word used for wind. Rulach. Same word used for this wind, this movement. And we see this idea extended in the New Testament. Remember John chapter 3, Jesus compares wind to people who are born of what? Spirit. They are like the wind. Moving, always moving. Holy Spirit is this kind of active. He speaks Acts 13:2. He intervenes Romans 8:26. He testifies, John 15:26, He guides John 16:13, he appoints Acts 20:28. 20, he convicts John 16:8, He seals our redemption, Ephesians 1:13-14, and he leads. Romans eight fourteen. You See this? He's verbing. He's verbing all over the place. That's what the Spirit does. But I want us to notice with each of these, which any verb, right, we learn this from English class, there's usually an object. Right? Same as the case here. There's an object. The Holy Spirit speaks ultimately about Christ. He testifies about Christ. If you read these in this context, that's what he's doing. He guides us to the truth of Christ. He appoints leaders for the body of Christ. He convicts us of sin so we can be forgiven through Christ. Seals our salvation through faith in Christ. And finally, leads us to put self to death so that Christ might be revealed in our bodies. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. That's actually what it talks about here in Romans 8, 14. The leading is a leading us to put ourselves, our idols, our overpassions to death so that he might be revealed in our mortal bodies. Do you see that? See the pattern? I want us to see patterns this morning. Biblical patterns in Scripture. The purpose of the Spirit. Now I want us to also look through... We think about the spirit. We think about some wild stuff, right? The spirit—he is powerful. So I want us to look at three passages that stress, that emphasize the power of the spirit, and we're just going to back, kind of back up and look at these, real quick. You got First Corinthians twelve through fourteen, Ephesians five eighteen, and the entire book of Acts. <laughs> All right. So first, we're going to look at First Corinthians twelve through fourteen. All right, where Paul speaks about these powerful so-called charismatic gifts, all right and specifically, think about the big three, these charismatic gifts: healing, miraculous healing, speaking in tongues, and prophecies i 'll explain more about these later. but Paul says from the beginning in first corinthians 12 that All of these, all of these are for the building up of Christ's body. You see this again, this idea of exalting Christ. They're for the building up of Christ's body, of which he is exalted as the head. He's always the head of the body. What about Ephesians 5? Ephesians 5, 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. So as Christians, we often talk about the need to be filled more and more with the Spirit. What is the purpose of that, though? Why? we got to read Ephesians five nineteen To address one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. In other words, the end purpose of all this is... To Christ, we're singing. We're, we're being filled with the Spirit. To Christ, to s- with all our heart. Whenever you see the Lord, by the way, in the New Testament, it, curios, it's always referring to Christ specifically. Always about Christ. And and this is important. Let's let's not be so foolish as to think that just because we're in church, you know, and you may call yourself a Christian, I may call myself a Christian, that the temptation the temptation to lust for power is impossible in the Christian life. Just as it is in our present world. Because while the Holy Spirit is powerful, there can develop in us as Christians an overpassion. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You can look it up online. There can develop in us an overpassion to experience unusual manifestations of the Spirit's power. We can almost start to idolize it. Instead of Coming to Christ and, ask, and you know with open hands to receive anything He has to give us, like a child with his with his father. And we can start to just want the powerful stuff, just the big stuff, the stuff we feel in our lives, and that too can become an overpassion. It can become an idol. What do we hear about Jesus, though? What we hear about Jesus is that we're supposed to seek Him. We seek Christ, Philippians 2.21, Colossians 3.1. But nowhere does it say to seek the Spirit. I'm going somewhere with this. Follow me here. We're called to revere Christ, Ephesians 5.21, but not the Spirit. Why is this? Christ is to be formed in us, Galatians 4.19. But it doesn't say that about the Spirit. We're called to serve Christ, Romans 12.11. But not the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit aids us, helps us in seeing all these things happen. Without Him, it won't happen. In other words, the shy member, the shy member of the Trinity, seems never to be in the spotlight because He is the spotlight. See, this is about the Spirit. He is the spotlight. He is always spotlighting Christ, his word, the cross, his resurrection, his salvation, his sufficiency. If you live to glorify Christ, if your heart beats to exalt Jesus our Savior, then the Holy Spirit is your go-to. He is your go-to in providing all the aid you'll need in doing that. I promised you three passages, though, so let me go. i got to get to the entire book of Acts. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. We're here for a while. Right, in Acts, we observe an unusually, unusually powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you could call Acts, instead of Acts of the Apostles, in some ways it should probably be called Acts of the Holy Spirit. We see tongues, prophecies, healings. It is, although, if you notice, accompanied by Christ-centered preaching, right? If you notice when these these unusual things happen in Acts, what happens? Either it happens when Christ is preached, or immediately it's used as an opportunity for Christ to be preached. Right? And this is crucial. I want to give you an example. It's going to have to be quick from Acts 13. Acts 13, one through two. Let's read this together. There were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon. It was called Niger, Lucius, a Cyrene, Mananian, a member of the court of Heron, the Tetrarch, and Saul. When, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and here's a prophetic word, Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they prayed and Barnabas and Saul went off. Notice how this all begins. Whom were they worshiping? They were worshiping Christ. The focus was on seeking Christ. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to them. All right, let's, let's move along. So, so they go out. They go and preach. Barnas and Paul do. And here's what happens. So they're out preaching. And this guy named Alemas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name. This is Acts 13, 8 through 12. Opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. So here's this miraculous thing that's going to happen. Prophesied sort of by the Spirit. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what, he, what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Notice, God does something great. It's immediately it, it intermingled in the midst of the teaching of the Lord. Ultimately, the proconsul is astonished at what? The miracle, but especially... The teaching of the Lord. All right, we'll move ahead end of this chapter here. Okay, so this keeps happening. They keep preaching. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Big moment in salvation history here, right? For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. You may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to the eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And the chapter ends by saying the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Do you see what's being happened? Paul is preaching the word. He, he literally quotes from Isaiah 49.6. The word as he knows it. and People are rejoicing and glorifying in the word as it is preached and the Holy Spirit moves as a result. Here's my point something we can learn as we look in Acts and all these powerful works of the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit chooses to exalt Christ primarily through the preaching and teaching of His Word. That's the pattern. And you might say, well, wait a minute. What about worship? What about worshiping the Lord through song? Friends, let me tell you, I love it. Love to see Christ exalted through song, to experience Christ exalted through song. We really want to see this more and more here at Sunrise Community Church. That's why my brother Ray, using his gifts and talents to help lead us into worship, and we're we're trying to develop that and develop leaders who can usher us into times of worship. When we often think of the Spirit being active in a worship service, we often think of worship, right? Right? I know I often do. And to be honest, I think a lot of this is because worship gives us this opportunity to kind of have that telephone booth relationship with God, right? Close my eyes, no one's around me. Whoop! Put up the telephone booth. It's me and you, Lord. It's me and you. We're here. Let's talk. No one else can talk to me. Right? But when, when someone preaches, when you hear from the Word, it's like, it's invading my life. But what we see in Scripture is that worship is secondary to Christ-centered teaching of his word. Do you remember the Last Supper? Remember the Last Supper? The Apostle John gives us five chapters of Jesus' teaching, rich teaching, five chapters. But do you remember how the Last Supper ends? How does it end? They all sing a hymn. The guy, they sing a hymn. And it's glorious, but it is one hymn. A glorious hymn. I think it was an awesome hymn that allowed the disciples to take in, to drink in the word of Christ, let it soak in. And as it soaked in, they began to exalt Christ through song. In fact, I think that what Paul describes as a perfect worship service likely happened for these disciples at the Last Supper. What does he say? Paul says in Colossians 3.16, he says it in one verse, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart towards God. Do you see this? The disciples, I believe, first allowed the word of Christ to sink in, take dwelling in them, and then they worshiped, singing to one another, singing as they exalted Christ. Biblically, we see this worship in the Spirit as a response to the Spirit's work through His Word. Why? Because throughout Scripture, God's Word always brings life. Right? From Genesis 1, God spoke. Boom! The lights go on. Right? God's Word always brings life. Always brings life. You know the Spirit is present and active when Christ is exalted. And friends, Christ is most often exalted when we see His life-giving Word present in some way, shape, or form. Do you see that? Okay, so, on the one hand, I'm okay with less attention because the Holy Spirit wants the attention towards Christ. But on the other hand, I'm bothered. I'm bothered by less attention because the Holy Spirit brings every good thing in life. He brings every good thing in life. God the Father is sovereign over the universe. The Son sits on the throne to intercede for us, but the Holy Spirit is out here doing all the legwork in our present day and age. Everything comes about from the Spirit. And so when he gets pushed aside and we don't talk about the Spirit and we don't have opportunities to experience the power of the Spirit, it bothers me. It should bother us. If you don't know Christ or you don't seek Him yet in your life, man, let me tell you, it is a thrill. It is a thrill to see Christ, to know Him. It is awesome. Do you remember? Do you remember when you first started seeking him? Let me ask that, friends. Do you remember that day, that time, that season? Maybe you were young. Maybe you were older. And the spirit was doing all kinds of things around you. He was providing things you didn't have. He was having you bump into people with whom you could share your faith. You were praying bold things. And like that, they would happen you were reading the Word and the Spirit would make His Word just jump off the page. Do you remember this? Sometimes things happen on the way to where we are now. Something happened to the church of of Galatia. Paul says to them in Galatians 3, verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit are you now trying to be perfected in the flesh? I love the way the New Living Translation reads it. We'll read that as well. Where he says this. Have you lost your senses? After starting your Christian lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And yeah, that's what so often happens as Christians, right? Yeah, I believe in Christ. So I've got to do this, and this, and this, and this. This, right? Let me just get it over with. Gotta do it. Gotta make it happen. Paul says, Are you so foolish? That's not how you started. That's not how it all began. It's as if we threw out the Bible and replaced it with a much less worthy book. Do you, you remember this children's story? Uh, remember that book, The Little Engine That Could? Remember this thing? I was, I was uh, trying to look for this book in my children's library. I think I texted five parents last night. Uh, no one had it. But maybe you remember this book. No one else wants to pull the train. No one else can do it. And here's this little engine. He comes along. And through the power of positive thinking, I think I can. 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 Right? And he chugs up the mountain, with pulling this train behind him. Somehow, this idea has spawned in the Christian world and in churches. It's, it's spawned at these, these weird but attractive philosophies. And it's often Christian leaders who espouse them. Philosophies like this. God wants you to believe in yourself. Philosophies like God helps those who help, them help themselves. Have you heard that one before? Or thirdly, God will never give you more than you can handle. I want to address all of these. Actually, Paul wants to address all of these. With his rhetorical question, we should see that Paul rebukes all of these. Really? After beginning in the Spirit, are we going to believe these things? After beginning by looking outside yourself to believe in Christ, are you going to start believing in yourself again? Don't get me wrong. He gives you gifts and talents. He loves you. But the belief is in Him to work. After starting by asking the Spirit to lead and guide you in your life, are you sufficient to help yourself? No. And this last one. Look, God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. Let's tell you this right now. He will absolutely give you more than you can handle. And that's why the Spirit works and causes us, it says in Romans 8, to cry out, Abba, Father. Father. We can't do anything for Christ, in Christ, through Christ, without His Spirit. Everything we've talked about for the last month. So remember sanctification? Becoming more like Jesus? Remember the, the key ways we, we grow to be more like Jesus? By dying to self, to our idols, to overpassions. Being sanctified, dying to self, these things cannot happen without the help of the Spirit. They just can't. We need Him. One other issue I think is important to address. How does some of this weird and wacky stuff of the Spirit exalt Christ? They can give us a taste of future glory with Christ. I want to explain. Miraculous healings. I was speaking recently to someone here, actually about a friend of theirs, who'd experienced a miraculous healing from cancer. Someone had prayed for them, and they'd received healing, okay? And after this had happened, and the doctors were amazed, and maybe we've heard some of these stories before, when their daughter, I can't remember if it was their daughter or their granddaughter, came in to the hospital room and, and, and sort of said tactlessly, I'm so glad you're not going to die. Right? That was their first words, right, to their mother, grandmother. Uh, and she laughed. She laughed as responded. Oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> Jesus just wanted me first to get a little taste of what it will be like to be fully healed. That's exactly right. One day, we'll all be fully healed with Him. When we are with Him in all unity. And so sometimes on earth, He wants to give us a little taste of that. Speaking in tongues. uh, Speaking in tongues is speaking in a language unknown to the speaker but it's able to be translated into something sensible. Miraculously, okay? This gives us a taste of the throne in Revelation 5, where every tribe and tongue will sing praise in perfect unison to the Lamb of God, Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. You see that little taste that exalts Christ. Somehow, all these languages will come together and sing in perfect unison Praising the Lamb of God. So now that can give us a little taste of what that's like here on earth. Prophecy is an impression given by the Spirit. We can't spend a lot of time on this, sorry. An impression given by the Spirit to communicate to others. It's always subject to human error. We have to be very careful with this. It's not the same weight as Scripture. Certainly Not. But sometimes something someone says can be from the Lord in a very uh, spiritual, miraculous sense. and It can give us a taste of every mystery being revealed when the clouds are peeled back like a scroll. And we're with Christ. All the mysteries revealed. All the truths. Get a little taste of that with some of these miraculous things. Do you see that? That's how these more unusual things can exalt Christ. We think about it only as being like, oh, that person just wants stuff for themselves, they just want to experience stuff. No, it can exalt Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 8-10, Paul says this, As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. You see that? Some of the miraculous. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away. When the perfect comes, another word there in the Greek, which is usually the meaning in the New Testament, means when the complete comes. When we are completed by being with Jesus, these partial things will pass away. But how good it is to have the partial here on earth, isn't it? To have these little tastes of God's power while we're still here. When we're in heaven... I'd just be blown away. We don't have to use discernment and wonder why people are doing what they do. It'll be all power and all glory. But here, it's nice to have the partial. Do you see why? Give us a little taste. What it's be like to be with Christ in eternity. This is this is one of these, by the way, note taking sermons. I realize that we're going through a lot of scripture, a lot of things. I hope you're following along. How does all this, though, matter for the way we live? I'm going to finish here. How does all this matter for the way we live our lives? Specifically, how does it matter that we know the purpose of the Spirit, the ultimate purpose of the Spirit? First of all, knowing His Spirit, knowing the Spirit's purpose, helps us know how to pray. Helps us know how to pray. Pleading with the Spirit's help, for for the Spirit's help, that Christ be exalted in my life, in my church, in my place of work, in a given situation. If I know that the Spirit's goal is to exalt Christ, then it changes the way I pray in those situations. It changes the way I ask for the Spirit's help. If I know His will is to exalt Christ, my prayers become more about Him increasing and me decreasing. It becomes less about, you know, Lord, uh... Uh, you know, I just need a little help here. I'm afraid I'm going to be persecuted. Now, granted, God will listen to our prayers at that. I don't want to make fun of that. On one hand, on the other hand, our prayers start to change and say, "Lord, whatever you got to do, exalt Christ in this situation. Please exalt Christ in this situation." If we know the Spirit's purpose, number two, if we know the Spirit's purpose helps us discern what is of the Spirit what is of flesh or worse right in the spiritual world we talk about things powerful the holy spirit be other kinds of spirits as well going on how do we discern what is really of god years ago as many years ago as a youth pastor i was at a vineyard church in chicago illinois uh love love the church I used to go and take my students along to their annual weekend winter retreat where all the vineyard churches of the state got together. Every year on the schedule, they gave us. They gave us a schedule with one of these little programs, um, you know, tons of like clip art and stuff like that. Because it was cool back then, clip art. Now, come on, clip art, seriously. All right. um, They had this on the schedule. Every Saturday night it said, Holy Spirit kicking ministry time. On there all right and in bold letters underneath it says the holy spirit shows up so basically it was planned every year for the holy spirit to show up at a particular time on a particular night right he was as regular as saturday night live <laughs> and i was like here we go i in no doubt the spirit can and does show up but we don't know how or when or what he's going to do and asked for the agenda was faithful teaching from God's word. And I was a young, a young buck at the time, still am. But after a couple years of, of going through this retreat, I decided to write and call the pastor who was in charge, who was 30 years my senior. All right, so I was a little intimidated, did this with fear and trembling. And I got a, huge props to this guy. Huge props to this guy. I, I, I shared my heart with him. We even walked through scripture a bit together. He said, you know what, you're right. We think the spirit will be somehow more present with these, these sort of big things. And we're up here, we're playing music, and we're praying, but we're doing it for the wrong reasons. We're kind of doing it for ourselves, I see that. First of all, big props, because this guy, I, I will never forget this, what an impression this made of humility. This guy to say this. It, I appreciate him to this day. Sure enough... Things began to change. The next two years, there was teaching. And it wasn't perfect. Frankly, some of the guys there weren't used to teaching through God's Word. It wasn't perfect, but Christ was exalted. Everyone saw how the Spirit came more authentically and genuinely and powerfully. as so it was His Word and powerful things happening. You see that? We begin to learn how to discern what's, what's of the Spirit? Is Christ being exalted? Lastly, if by knowing His purpose, we can discern well, we can be more open to unusually powerful stuff of the Spirit. Katie and I have a folder at home with prophetic words that believers have given us. Some are right on, some are not. But what I really want to share with you is a little bit of God's sense of humor with me, personally. In college, I had a good friend of mine who claimed to have the gift of speaking in tongues. Okay? We fellowship very closely. And to me, this was not cool. All right, this person telling me they have the gift of speaking in tongues. So from God's word, I tried to convince them that they didn't have that gift. Really, I said, no, come on, man. I don't think you really have that gift. Let's talk about this. We even, I, remember I opened up to 1 Corinthians 12, where it said, look, it says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. What's mentioned last, speaking in tongues you don't want it trust me all right so i do this (laughs) less than two months later i'm on spring break with some with some buddies of mine i'm praying one morning and i sense the spirit powerfully move and what do you know i started speaking in tongues all right and the next thing you know uh one of my buddies barges in the room and he says you got a phone call guess who's on the phone that friend of mine, as the gift of speaking in tongues. It was like uncanny, the Lord, putting that into my, my life. Very humbling. Um, and, and to be honest with you, God gives some gifts for a season. And this is one of them. Uh, he put that in my life for a period of time. Uh, I don't believe I have that gift anymore. But I see the Spirit's pers- purpose in this. He gave this to me to humble me. And humbling me, make me more like Christ so that he might be exalted. Some way, shape, or form. That's the Spirit's purpose in every gift, in every movement, in every action, that Christ may be exalted. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, a lot to talk about when we talk about Spirit. Spirit, we acknowledge you, we thank you for your presence in our lives, that whatever you do, whether quote-unquote ordinary or quote-unquote extraordinary, you're always exalting Christ, pointing to Christ, directing our eyes and our hearts towards Christ. Lord, this Christmas may our heart beat, may our desire be to love and exalt Christ and help us plead with you, plead with you to help do that. Help us do that. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.